So took you a second to figure that one out. Yeah. You know, and so basically it was like, uh, you know, the same kind of, kind of, kind of joke of it, but you know, this whole thing of, um, you know, the people who are, you know, there in a sense or at that upper level, I mean, yeah, they, they might like showing off, but they don't necessarily have to, you know, they can do what they do. They don't need to, I mean, yes, boots are awesome. I love my boots. You know, I like people licking my boots. I like people doing things on my boots. I like people polishing my boots, but I don't have to be wear my boots in order to be a scary motherfucker. Right. You know, and you know, it, it, it's, you know, that thing of knowing, you know, as you get into the scene, you, you realize those people who are, you know, the outfit makes them. And there are those people who make the outfit. Right. I think it's a good way of putting it. Well, I, I was I was at um, uh, Switches Symposium, at mm-hmm. Swiss, which is a, a monthly uh, discussion group at, at Shameless Grounds in St. Louis, which is kind of like the, the St. Louis version of uh, Wicked Grounds that they have in San Francisco. Oh, really? Cool. Oh, yeah. And um, there was a guy there who was new to the scene, and he was asking, you know, for tips about, you know, who to fuck with, who not to fuck with, et cetera, et cetera. And what I told him was, if you meet a dom who seems to be pretending to be worried about having a bad reputation, <laughs> you can tell that they're really in love with their bad reputation and trying to perpetuate it. That, to me, is a red flag. Yeah. Like, those are people that are scary, but not in a good way. And it seems like I meet doms who, one of the first questions they'll ask me is, so what have you heard about me? <laughs> have, you, have you heard all the nasty rumors about me? And it's like, well, actually, no, I, I, I'm sorry, I've never heard of you. And it's like, well, you must be new to the scene. And it's like, well, <laughs> no, I've been in the scene for 15 years, but, you know, if I've heard of you, I didn't, you know, have any frame of reference for it, so I don't remember it. And these people, in, in my opinion, no offense to any of them, but they, they, they usually seem to be bad news in one way or the other. And the people that are really scary, in a good way, tend to be the people who are kind of, like you said, kind of unassuming, you know? They don't have to advertise it. And then you find out later, like, oh, wow, that, that person's a bad motherfucker. You know, I had no idea. <laughs> you know, like, um, I, uh, I was a demo bottom for uh, Jim and Jareth at uh, an event here. And they said, um, yeah, we're looking for someone for our water torture class. And you know, <laughs> See, right there, water torture right off the bat. You know? Well, yeah. And me being me, I was like, yeah, sure, no problem, I'll do it. And I had a feeling that I was signing up to be waterboarded, but the word <laughs> waterboarded were never used. <laughs> so, like, wah, wah, wah. like, a day or two before the event, I get this email, like, you're okay with being waterboarded, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, sure. So I get there, and I've never met Jim or Jareth, I have no frame of reference for them, you know, other than what I read in the program. And I'm sitting there, uh, and I guess, and I'm like, you know, sitting naked by a pool, so I'm like sort of off away from the audience. So I guess it's fairly obvious. Actually, now. actually, hang on a second. You're breaking up there. Try uh, say that again. So uh, you said you met Jim and Jim and Jareth. Jim and Jareth. You hadn't met them before. Yeah. And I'm sitting naked by the pool, so I think it's kind of obvious to people that I'm the demo bottom. <laughs> and Jim starts talking about, you know, I, I, I don't know if he was a Navy SEAL or an Army Ranger or what, but I, I know he went through SEER training, and he talked about the number of times he'd been waterboarded and, you know, being trained to, you know, resist enhanced interrogation techniques and all these things, and I can see people's eyes just kind of looking at me like, <laughs> shit, you know, what did this guy sign on for? Um, so, yeah, he's, and, and, you know, he waterboarded me, 
And I thought he was taking it easy on me because I was the nice guy who volunteered. And people <laughs> who watched were like, no, dude, he was standing there with the pitcher of water, like waiting for you to try to breathe and then just dumping it on you. Like he was really, you know, giving you the water. <laughs> I guess it was like six months later, um, I was talking to, to Lee and uh, he was giving me the list of people that he's afraid of. And he mentioned Jim. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> You're afraid of that guy, and I signed up for his water torture class. What the hell's wrong with me? Because I'm afraid of Lee. So <laughs> anyone that Lee's afraid of is like, you know, the next level up. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, welcome, welcome to the the hierarchy of terror. So, so, so seriously, uh, what have you heard about me? And no, just kidding. Anyway, um, yeah, and I, 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 I've always found the. You know, I, I don't. I don't always find that that absolutely true. You know, the person that the person you're afraid of means. You know, because it, 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 it's it's you know what somebody else is afraid of may not be what you're afraid of. I mean, yeah. you know, waterboarding. You know, is a very specific thing. I have a very very close friend who I haven't seen in a while. Uh, actually, it actually changed her life basically. Uh, she went from not caring about living to fuck it all. She she wants to live which is a major psychological change for her in that sense and you know that's you know it, it's amazing how things like that can be cathartic for some people and other people it's like well i couldn't breathe for a while you know <laughs> you know and everybody is totally different um i mean they're they're i know people who who have told me they're terrified of me and I'm sort of like, you know, I can play at different speeds. But all they've heard from me about me is, you know, Dove did this and he did that fucking thing and he put this razor blade over somebody's eyeball. And you're like, oh, I'm like, well, yeah, but I don't have to do that with you. You know, unless that's what you want to. I mean, I actually know I actually have, uh, I think, three or four actual um, stalker types who I'm, I'm like, I'm the person they stalk and will never call. Because I'm that terrifying for them, <laughs> you know, and it, it's kind of funny because I'm like going, I can do normal stuff too, you know, and, and other people have, have built up uh, a lot of things around, which makes it even funny because I have done some pretty interesting stuff, but it, you know, it's like, I love how the story gets bigger than the actual reality. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, although I, I actually have run into something recently, which actually has annoyed the crap out of me because... Uh, some people I've been acquainted with have, have actually uh, started doing the because I've been involved with them in some events and stuff with um, to their people or people they're actually trying to pick up in some ways. Uh, be nice, or I'll turn you over to Dove. <laughs> and I'm sort of like, you know, dude, that's actually kind of shitty, actually, because a, it's my rep; it's not yours to throw around. And I may actually be better than yours. In fact, I actually, in one instance, I know somebody who was playing with somebody who was doing that. And they eventually played with me, and they liked me not only better, but safer than the person who was pulling the, uh, the routine on them. Simply because, you know, yeah, I, I can play pretty, pretty, pretty heavily on the edge in a lot of areas, but I know what I'm doing. Right. You know, you'll, you'll come back alive, you know, and, and a lot less oops. Uh, which doesn't mean you know I'm perfect. I mean I, I've uh, you know I had a problem with somebody recently actually where um, uh, we had a little issue in communication and part of it was they didn't want to do pain when we started, which was fine, and we weren't doing pain and I was doing sort of this little punchy sort of chest massage thing which moved down towards the stomach, 
but they were making exactly the same noises they did while they were doing all the happy fun stuff you know there was no change in you know there wasn't like instead of going eh, 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 happy to eh, eh, you know whatever you know there was no physical indi- physical indicator or oral indicator that what i was doing was incorrect and i should not go as far as i was going and i got back a uh, you know finally you know you're being an asshole and i was like oh okay need to talk more about signals there you know but it it's um you know, I think that what makes people good is the ability to, you know, look at what they where they fucked up and acknowledge it and fix it. You know, with, especially with the person, and more specifically the person who, um, you know, they fucked up with. You know, I, I see a lot of people in the scene who, you know, you know, they want to play heavy and then they fuck up, and then while it may not technically be their fault, don't take enough responsibility for it. You know, it's, it's that, exactly. uh, you know, I, I know somebody who, uh, um, uh, this is, they suspended somebody, the person had a blood clot. It was, it was a major issue. And while technically it wasn't necessarily or specifically that person's fault because the other person was also a heavy smoker. And so, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into something like that. The attitude by the person who's doing suspension was along the lines of, well, it wasn't me. Fuck, you know, like don't, don't, don't bother me with this. It's not my fault. Rather than, ouch, what can I do to help? Which is two totally different attitudes. Mm-hmm. One gets friends, the other gets, you know, lifelong enmity. Right. Yeah. And and, and just, just, a, just a quick aside, I have, sure. I have nothing but love for Jim and Jared. And <laughs> I, think, I think the same goes for Lee. He was my, uh, Jim was my example of scary in the good way. I don't want to get anybody into trouble. Um, but yeah, what, I think that we as as bottoms, you know, we have a responsibility for our own safety, just like tops have a responsibility for our safety. And you know, you have to communicate. And you know, what I've said over and over to people is, you know, if you're if you're risk averse, this may be the wrong gig for you. Sure. Um, it's like what Michael Soul says, you know, shit happens when you party naked. Um, <laughs> I that shit part shit happens when you party naked with a sharp object. Oh <laughs> hell yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, things happen, but I, I do taking responsibility goes a long way. Yeah. You know, another, a Dom who's never made a mistake is another red flag for me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) If you've never made a mistake, if you've never done anything wrong, if you've never had to apologize, you know, that's another red flag that, you know, you may be scary in the bad way. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Um, and, and, and also I think from the bottom side also, there's that element of, um, and and I've, I've, I've worked on both, not that I'm a, I'm, I'm a horrible bottom, so I'm not a bottom, but trust me, I've tried. It doesn't work. Um, weird pain threshold, let's not go there. But the, the main thing is, is um, uh, we, I, I think it's how we teach things in the scene, which actually this is an interesting segue for me because since I do a lot of teaching, I do a lot of, um, you know, 101 and also more specifically the, the emergency, how do you deal with the emergency and medical elements. And I think that we teach a lot of stuff way too much from the uh, victim side. And, and I'm not making any, you know, not trying to denigrate the victim, but simply the fact that when we teach a lot of things, we teach it from the standpoint of, and here's the bomb that goes off first. Now we'll teach you how to do it right. And the problem with that is, you're, cre- you're creating a, a fear of, of 
a, 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 a world of fear and anxiety before you actually get to where you're going. It's like when you go when you go t- uh, to a mountain climbing class, they run you through uh, the important things up front. You know, uh, if you hear the word uh, rock, don't look up, hit the wall. Reason being is if you look up, the rock hits you. If you hit the wall, you're safe. But the one thing they don't uh, do is instill fear. They instill reaction, but they don't instill fear. And then as you move along, you learn the important things. I think that we have a tendency to instill the, uh, you know, we, we, we talk, when we do a class about um, rope, too many people do a giant preamble about asphyxiation, which for the most part is not an issue in rope bondage. It, it, it's a minor thing. And only if you're doing a couple of specific things. The only, only area we're cutting off air or, or having a breathing issue falls in, into any any area is positional asphyxia and if you have a rope around somebody's neck. Those are the only two areas and for 90% of what you're doing, it's a non-issue. But most classes will spend literally 25% or even 50% of the class talking about cutting off circulation or cutting off air. Neither of which is really that important because it's an, they're non-issues. They're not going to happen unless you really do something specifically stupid. And so, you know, like, I, oh God, I was, uh, um, uh, I did a, um, actually, this is somebody else's class. I was at a, uh, the, um, uh, what's her name, uh, Jane's cl- uh, event, uh, the uh, one up in New, in New Hampshire, uh, KinkyCon. And there's a couple who do wrestling. And they're talking about chokeholds. And they just start with were very worried as they were talking about it. You could hear them trying to not so much rationalize, but to say it in a way that people would understand it. And there was this one yutz in the audience who comes around a lot. And they were talking about the fact that, you know, uh, uh, there's, was it the, the, one of the big federations of, of Japanese, you know, martial arts, uh, did a, uh, a study to find out if, who, if anyone died from chokeholds and they couldn't find any examples in all the dojos in Japan and wherever they were looking. And the issue when you're doing a chokehold is you choke somebody out, they drop. Immediately after, as long as you haven't done anything physically damaging to the throat, 99.9999999% of the time, your automatics kick back in and you start breathing again. You know, matter of fact, Maine says you didn't stop breathing; you just passed out, and now you have air. Your body just goes back, and in a couple seconds, uh, you're going to wake up. Now, the problem is they mention the fact of how long it takes for brain death to occur, based if you cut off oxygen. Now, remember, when you're doing a chokehold, you choke; the person goes, oh, passes out; you let go. If you keep holding, yes, that person's going to eventually die because you're cutting off circulation. The idea is. They either tap out or you feel them go limp, let go. Well, this guy starts talking about um, how long, you know, and brain death occurs when. And they start trying to explain. I sort of cut them off and basically just gave what I just said of, you know, it takes six minutes for brain dead, uh, for for, um, uh, brain death, but you're only doing it within this time frame. That's nowhere near when it's going to happen. You know, the moment they go, they pass out or they tap, you let go, you're nowhere near anything that's dangerous in that sense, you know. And, you know, this isn't a discussion about, you know, specifically about breath play, but it's that element that um, 
we tend to pepper what we're doing with the bon mots that get in the way of how to do it safely so that you're never going to get to that point. You know, how do you tie a wrist? How do you tie a chest? How do you how do you pay attention to somebody is more important than worrying whether they're going to fall, you know, they're suddenly going to pass out and die. Because if you do the first part, that's usually not going to happen. That, does that make any sense? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. That's 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 why I love um, like Jay Wiseman's classic <laughs> his videos because I love this sort of um, okay. Let's let's take the worst case scenario of these things that rarely happen and let's reverse engineer and show what went wrong and then don't do that. You know, if you don't do this, you reduce your chances of harm by ten, and if you don't do this, you reduce your chances of harm by forty percent. And you know, you get to the point where you can be reasonably assured that if you don't do these stupid things, you're okay. Yeah. And well, you know what I'm saying. I mean, you I, can I do. do everything right and you know hurt yourself, and you can do everything wrong and survive. But statistically speaking, you know there are certain things you can do to reduce your risk. It's like wearing your seatbelt or having a car with an airbag. I agree, but I, see, my problem with Jay is I, I've, I've I've known Jay more in the last number of years, but I originally didn't know him. And um, my, my problem with Jay is that Jay has two problems with his information. One, time. There's stuff he wrote back in the 90s, which is still haunting him today. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing is, is that, again, when we, we go from the extreme, we ignore the fact that it's extreme. It becomes the right. norm. And so that's where my problem comes in. It's like uh, Jay years ago. This, I used to do two jokes when I would do my bondage classes. One was, he, he used to say, if you uh, uh, put anything around somebody's wrist for more than so many minutes, you have to re, re, uh, re, uh, release the tension to allow the blood flow. But the thing he doesn't say is anything about being tight. So I used to make a joke about, I'd do a big loop around my, my wrist and go, so at what point do I actually have to you know, release this. Because, of course, you know, it's this giant loop of rope. There's no tension. Because <laughs> he never says that in his book. He just says, anytime you put anything around the wrist, what do you mean by anything? Now, the other thing is that he then later did his own test where he cut off his own circulation. Now, he started the whole thing about, you know, look out for, and, or I should say, he's, he, I wouldn't say he started. He's the one who amplified, you know, if you cut off circulation, the arm will fall off routine. Which he then cut off his own circulation and went, oh, wait a minute, this isn't going to kill you. It's just going to suck if you leave it on for an hour. And the ridiculous part is most bondage that you do, matter of fact, the majority, and I mean literally 99% of all bondage that you do, in no way restricts totally, does not um, tourniquet. And I use the word tourniquet as in take a stick, put it into a piece, into a loop, twist the loop around and cut off all circulation, will not tourniquet off a limb because you always have that little gap in the, you know, uh, between the wrists, you know, as long as you have two fingers there, there's there's always going to be some blood flow, you know. And depending on where you've put the rope, you know, you're you're again, you may be pressing on the outside of the arm, but you're not pressing on the inside. The real issue here is uh, nerve issues in the arm, and that's really it. So, and of course, you know, rope around the neck, but that's a whole other category. We're not even going there over there. But he. Um, uh, he, you know, disavowed it, you know, he disproved his own theory, which was hilarious, because then people would still come back to him with that. And then he had another one, which he started the whole safety shears. But then he says something, which was the utter failure, which is the emergency thing. And again, this is where I go, well, yeah, starting with the emergency is the bad thing, which was in an emergency, use your safety shears. But he never says what the fuck is an emergency. 
And I always start my, my when I do my, my safety preamble, I do safety shares will not save the world. And the reason for it is this. Um, Jay came to New York finally. I finally got to meet him. This was a, when I was still uh, on the board of TESS. I was, uh, it was in my second year, third, I was like fourth year, third year of my, my tenure on the board. I was a four year board member for TESS. And he's, he was, it was when he was uh, uh, just going off to college to become a lawyer. And he, you know, was raising money, going to events, and, you know, this was his farewell tour. So he comes to New York, I finally get to meet the great Jay Wiseman. And I'm, I'm proctoring his, his, uh, his class, and uh, it's a pretty good class. And I finally get to, you know, talk to him. I go, Jay, you know, you, you always said in your book, um, you know, in an emergency, cut the ropes. And I've been tying for years. I've, I've never had to cut my I, The only time I've ever cut my ropes was somebody who I tied up. I did this whole spider web you know, uh, uh, things so they could lean into it and sort of float in the air while they were still standing down. And this is back when I used to tie with hundreds and hundreds of feet of nylon. And it was basically one rope all the way up bottom. I just pulled up the rope, cut it, and the pressure was gone. And it was all good. I've never had to use my scissors. I've actually even had to uh, body check somebody when I, I used to own this redhead. And uh, I suspended her, did a little eight-point suspension. This was at the, uh, the uh, paddles where they had the... Uh, the uh, uh, this Chinese bed thing, so I was suspended from there, and all she had to do literally was, uh, I would, uh, uh, actually no, I think it was before that was there, so it was just actually from the ceiling rafters things, so all I had to do was um, uh, untie her ankles, and she'd pivot on her uh, her uh, uh, hip harness, and she'd be standing, and she said she had a problem with her neck harness, and this English guy comes flying in with a pair of safety shears, you know, save the day, you know, of course the English guy I've most saved the die, you know, and you know we basically <laughs> took him down because if he did that, he would have probably broken her neck. I mean, it was like two seconds. She's down. I'm at the other end. It's already taken care of, dude. It's not even your scene. So I said, so what do you consider an emergency? He goes, I live in San Francisco, and I'm like looking at him, going like, huh? I live in San Francisco. I'm like, yeah, we have earthquakes. So Jay Wiseman writing this, his idea of an emergency as told me at this one point was when there when the building is going to fall down on you this is an emergency of wind so this is why you know I, I look at when we do the the you know unfortunately we use what i call uh, uh plato logic you know uh plato is greek savlaki is greek therefore plato is savlaki and we do the same thing with medicine you know um for years there was people who were spout off about whips about the fact that you know you, you, you whips could break you know they since they go they crack the sound bearer you can break bones with it well, no. Depends on we're talking what size whip are we talking about, and whether you flip the whip around and use the the weighted end of the whip, because the other end of the whip is a fucking piece of thread. You know, you crack it; it's not going to. And if you, in order to break skin, you actually have to know how to hit somebody. You can't just throw a whip and automatically split skin open perfectly. You know, you'll you'll abrade it before you do anything like that. And quite frankly, in order to actually throw a whip, I mean, I joke about the other part of that where people go like, oh my God, you know, if you don't know anything, don't try and throw a whip, you'll kill somebody. I'm like, yeah, the only person you're going to kill is yourself because in order to actually throw the whip and make it hit something, you actually kind of actually have to know how to throw a whip, you know? So again, that's that, that extreme is the problem I always have a problem with because, you know, there's what's actually happening and, oh, are we worrying about something, you know, are we worrying about space aliens showing up? What's the likelihood of space aliens? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be cool for a space aliens to pop into my scene, but you know, 
eh, not really. You know, if you know what I'm saying, you know, it's it's the I, least I likely. You. Yeah, and so th that's a problem I have with the way we teach and see because we we tend to teach the um, from the invalid, the the you know, oh well, if you happen to have body problems, this will be a problem. And I, when people ask me that in class, I go, well, okay, I'm teaching this from a healthy standpoint. If you have an issue of non-health, we can step aside and talk about it or talk about it as a separate issue because that's unique to the individual. You know, there's no, you know, I love when people come up to me when they have, um, you know, some body issue and they want the entire class, in essence, to have their, you know, to treat it as the norm. And it's not. If that makes any sense. No, yeah. totally. Yeah. You know, I, I, this is my own one, one pet peeve in that sense. I, you know, I'm going to change this as much as I can as I go through life. You know, damn it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had an interesting experience. This is kind of a weird segue, but I had an sure, interesting sure, sure. experience this year at a uh, slut walk. We had, um, oh yeah, slut walk. Yeah, slut walk St. Louis. Um, and for people who are not in the know, it's the big, you know, anti-violence against women protest and sort of uh, protesting the way that. Uh, female violence survivors, I guess violence survivors in general, but specifically women are treated by the judicial system and society at large and the amount of attention that's placed on what they were wearing at the time of the attack, et cetera, et right. cetera. That came out of a comment somebody made about, uh, yeah, the, about the police wearing officer, something. The police officer in Toronto who said that if women don't want to be raped, they should stop dressing like sluts. Hey, people, women don't want to be raped. Stop having boobs and, and you know, grow a cock. I mean, yeah, and do, and do what something an ass, about What a douchebag. What? What was that? And do something about that vagina. Yeah, goddammit. That's it. a big problem. <laughs> and uh, I was presenting, I was co-presenting uh, this uh, seminar with Kendra uh, called The Rationale of Rapists. Mm -hmm. And basically talking about how, you know, these miscommunications occur between men and women where the guy, for however he wants to justify it, thinks that what he's doing is consensual and it's not. And one person comes away thinking they had a good time and the other person comes away, you know, with the experience of having been raped. Yeah, and I was the, the the it was an interesting thing for me because coming from the BDSM world, where there's so much negotiation and so much uh, emphasis placed on consent, but we're willfully you know uh, hurting each other, and I was coming from this sort of like risk reduction model and harm reduction model, and I'm wondering like am I the right guy to talk about <laughs> sexual assault? <laughs> because I'm basically saying, you know, in, in much more politer terms, you know, shit happens when you party naked and nothing is safe. You know, walking out of your door in the morning is not safe. Mm -hmm. So it's all a matter of, you know, risk reduction and harm reduction and um, just sort of, you know, whether, whether we're talking about, you know, safe sex or safer sex or, you know, levels of consent, mm -hmm. there's always going to be miscommunication. So it's oh, sure. just like... There's no one-size-fits-all um, um, answer. And I got into a not an interesting sort of uh, exchange with a woman who was still a proponent of the sort of Antioch College model of consent where every level of sexual uh, activity that you increase, you have to ask for verbally and get verbal consent. Oh, so it's, oh can I take off your bra? <laughs> <laughs> and now that your breasts are exposed, may I touch them? And I and I was telling this woman, and I was like, you know what? It's it's a, it's a dance. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to ask you to dance. I may not ask you about every specific step, but I'm going to pay attention to where you're moving and try to keep you in the same rhythm with me. Um, 
And that's a really weird segue from what we were talking about. But no, I, I guess... Actually, I think it does tie in, actually, because... Yeah, go, keep going on. Keep going on. When you spend your entire adult life in the BDSM scene, you tend to have this sort of BDSM logic that applies lots of other places. And sometimes I have to check myself when I'm speaking about you know sexual issues with communities outside the BDSM world. Yes. That they really understand where I'm coming from and what I'm trying to say. No, I, I totally understand. I mean, I think it's actually... The reason I actually like the way that you brought up, in a sense, is because... Um, there, there's been some issues going around in the in our community as well. I mean, uh, you know, on a larger scale, you had what was it in New York? There was the Jovanovic case uh, a couple of years ago, uh, where um, this guy and this girl were communicating online um, to have a scene, and it was they were, were going to do some pretty fucked up stuff. You know, and they talked about everything from I think asphyxiation play to you know to whatnot. It was really a very broad range, and then they played. And then the girl decided after the after the fact that um, she'd been raped, and she went to the police. Now, uh, rape law rape rape law is not automatic. You know, it's like yes, you can invoke it, but then you have to prove it. There has to be something there, and it's not that you prove it, but the police have to prove it. And there are standards. And while you know consent is not considered a defense, it can be a mitigating factor depending on you know how you know what, what's going on and what's the preponderance of information now the gentleman had a lot of backing for, uh, well he, he, I won't say a lot of backing I mean the, the issue the issue did fracture the community a lot because of course you know we, we tend to when something goes wrong to automatically blame the the uh, the accused which can be rightly so but you know I'm, I'm very much one of those people who I'm, I'm a great believer in you know not guilty until proven guilty. You know, just because you're in court doesn't mean you're guilty. It just means you're in court. Now what? And what happened was the judge basically disallowed any communications that were had between the uh, uh, the guy and the girl in court. So basically, it came down to she came to his house. He beat the shit out of her. It was rape. Okay. Mm. So he won an appeal. Um. The, the what the judge had done by disavowing it was illegal because it was pertinent to the actual case and the what happened was the state just decided not to fo- bother prosecuting because there was more than enough evidence that this was a consensual thing and also it turned out the girl had a previous history of you know having sex and then calling rape with at least one other partner you know where you know, their actual rape had not actually happened. You know, it was like, oh my God, I negotiated, I, I had really good rough sex. Oh, wait a minute, I was raped, you know. And this is an area where it's not clear cut. And while we, we do the whole thing of, you know, consensual, non-consent, and all this other stuff, you know, all the different types of consent that we do do, the reality of it is, is if, you know, partner, you know, your partner decides suddenly that they don't like you, they can go to the cops. And it doesn't matter how much consent you've done, um, the cops will see it as they want to see it and your life can become very miserable you know and and this is a major problem and unfortunately you know as laws become more draconian you know you look at look at like the the fact that we're moving people onto the uh was it the um uh the pervert lists the uh uh sex sex uh what are those called the uh, sex offender registry yeah sex offender registry stuff you know originally that was primarily specifically for rapists 
habitual rapists and uh, pedophiles. And now we're putting everybody on this. You know, there was a case uh, only a couple of weeks ago I was reading about uh, these kids who uh, they held down some uh, somebody in class, dropped their pants, and sat on his face with their ass. Now this is a fucking you know you know it's a bullying thing. It's a prank. These kids are now going to have to be on the uh, they're, they're regis- they have to be registered with um, sex offender. Wow. Because we've made all these draconian laws that relate to bullying and other things and i have big issues with bullying my cousin uh was bullied up at his high school for a number of years my his his father is like suing the school system around that but the point of it is is when we come up with draconian laws where there's no ability for the court to you know okay this is this is a harmless thing or this this person is a serious offender you have these kind of abuses. There's uh, hundreds of cases of people who are on these uh, 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 the sex offender lists who did nothing. There's uh, uh, there's a case I was reading about uh, this girl who gave her boyfriend a blowjob. She was uh, older than he was, um, but they were both underage. So she's on a sex offender list because she gave him a blowjob. Guys, people have pissed by the side of the road because their dick was out in public are on this list. They pissed by the side of the road. They couldn't get to a bathroom. 